Rumor has it there is a secret base hidden underneath the Archelaus. So have you ever been in a spaceship? Don't try this at home. Secrets of Area 51 Reveal. I'm from Series. Series 8, not Series B. Who are you, huh? Mama. It's time to open your eyes, open your mind, and shift your paradigm. You're tuned in to another episode of All Night with the Living Geeks, a podcast in which we investigate and discuss high strangeness in the weird world in which we live. I'm your host, Taylor, and across the virtual desk from me tonight is not only my brother, Seb. Seb, how you doing? Excellent. Good evening. Good, good, good. But we also have returning, been dropped off by the mothership. It is our best friend, John. John, how you doing, dude? I am doing well. Uh, good uh, it is currently afternoon, so good afternoon, everyone. Indeed. Yep. I am taking advantage of the fact that uh, half of my family is away and is probably going to be home really late this evening. Oh, nice. Which means that if I try to record in the evening, I'll be up to like 11 o'clock at night, and I don't do well staying up that late. Ooh, I'm the bizarre. Not with any you. regularity. You are. You are the all night. In the all night I, here. That's me. I'm the all night part. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, Love it. Definitely. Love it. Definitely. And so here we are. It's the start of May. And we, um, you know, I want to talk about this first. I was posting April's episode. <clears throat> Actually, I might have been posting one of our podcastica mm-hmm. episodes, John. And, um, I noticed on the on the back end of the NOTLG site that, you know, oh, there was a new comment left on a, uh, uh, I think, our second episode here. And I was like, wait, really? Somebody left a comment on our Alien Highway episode? Somebody left a comment on anything? I'm like, wow, I got to go yeah. check this out. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I go and I check it out, and it is from... Um, the guy who made Alien Highway, uh, just kind of being very gracious and and happy. Um, I have the I'm quote. Trying... I got it. Do you... Yes, oh, yeah, I, please. I screenshotted. Yeah, that. Michael Brown. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's from April eleventh. Uh, from Mike Brown. I am Mike Brown, one of the filmmakers of Alien Highway. I had not been aware of this podcast before, and I heard it for the first time yesterday. You guys totally get the spirit of our documentary. Listening to it was such a delight and a boost to my spirit after experiencing a profound personal tragedy three weeks ago. Thank you so much. Uh, that's awesome that we could oh, yeah. make Mike Brown, uh, we could boost his spirits a little bit. I, I was, yeah, I screenshotted the heck out of this. I was like, I'm keeping this. This is yeah. Great. That that is fantastic. We're so thankful That's awesome. for that feedback. Um, you know, we loved Alien Highway. I've been harassing the heck out of the Unbelievers podcast because boy, do they use soundboard clips like crazy! And I'm like, you guys have to watch this. Yes, it's it's bonkers. 
and you guys <laughs> there's so many clippable parts yeah of this documentary um they they keep saying they're gonna get to it you know i've shared files with them so hopefully uh hopefully we'll get their take on it soon but yeah sure enough uh goes in and it, it does look through the alien highway facebook page as though one of his uh very good friends did pass away mm. uh back in march um, so if, if we were able mm. to bring a little bit more joy, uh, and happiness to his life as a result of, of our episode, that just, that made my month. Yeah. That absolutely. was so awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. <clears throat> so what is new in our weird for this month, Seb, what is weird for you? Yes. <clears throat> well, this month I have finally found out that one of our ancestors was a time traveler. This is pretty okay. exciting. <laughs> Tell me more. Um, it turns out our more. great our, get ready for this. Uh, our great grand uncle was born in the year five thousand six hundred and eleven. Yay! Sorry, what? But actually, I is kid. The Jewish calendar. Yeah, our our, our great grand. Yes, it is. Ah. Yep. So uh, that's actually the year in the Jewish calendar, which translates to eighteen fifty one in I think the Gregorian calendar. So I recently acquired a copy of a photograph of his tombstone before it was torn down by the Nazis. I had never seen this photo before, um, oh. but a lot of the epitaphs in um, Hebrew. So I was finally able this month to get uh, a gentleman on Facebook to help me translate it. Um, wow. And it's, it's actually kind of fascinating because um, not only that, but the inscription gives something called his Shem Hakodah. Okay. I'm obviously mispronouncing the heck out of this. A, Hakodesh, Shem Hakodesh, which is his like Hebrew name, his religious name, oh, okay. um, which is different than the name like on his death certificate and that kind of stuff. Um, and it really kind of, I don't know, it really kind of struck me because, you know, so lately we've been talking so much in our episodes about um, hidden names and the translation of things, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I don't know. It just, it was kind of a neat vibe there, you know? So, um, yeah, it was just, uh, it was great. It was, it was really fascinating how some of these old photos can you know, bring a dead person back to life, so to speak. You can hear their name again. You can learn a little bit about their story. And yeah, it was just pretty cool. That's so yeah. that was, yeah, that's what happened for me this month. Very uh, cool. So did I ever uh, tell, yeah, did I ever tell you guys the story of finding my missing keys in a tree? No. Uh, no. Okay. So a few months ago, I, um, actually this was, this was just as I think we were, all finally getting over COVID, um, I grabbed my car keys. I would normally have all my keys on like a carabiner clip. And I was running out to the car to grab something from one car to put in the other because then I was going to take my kiddo to school again the next day. Um, and in the process of that, um, like my clip didn't close all the way and a, a small key ring with a couple of like not critical keys uh -huh. fell off and uh. I searched like crazy for them kind of at the curb. Like, is it down in the gutter? Is it down in these little bushes that are popping up? Cause really it's just weeds. Um, and I couldn't find them. And I checked multiple times, you know, down on my knees, kind of like digging through uh, this grass and stuff. And I just couldn't find them. <clears throat> and I think, I mean, really a couple of weeks goes by. Like I literally, I, I've, I've contacted my work, said, hey, I've lost the key to my office door. Uh, sorry about that. You know, thankfully it doesn't 
say my work's name on it or anything so if in case somebody did find it um all it says is do not copy um and so one afternoon i'm not even thinking about it anymore and one afternoon i'm just pulling up in front of the house um having picked up parent from school and he goes dad i see your keys and i'm like what he's like yeah they're right there in that tree and i'm like what what and so our neighbors uh on the corner here they've got a tree and um uh it obviously this was february so it hadn't flowered yet um and for whatever reason somehow i have many guesses as to what it could be um there on a little stub of a branch on the trunk of the tree you know maybe four feet up is hanging my keys. What? Whoa. <laughs> and so it could have been that the neighbors happen to see it. They've got two little girls. They might have been playing and they're just like, oh, they're going to hang these here. Or it could have been a high schooler walking by. We're right by high school. Saw them and instead of taking them went, oh, I'm going to stick it in this tree. It could have been fairies. I don't freaking know. <laughs> like, I really don't know. Yeah. But I wasn't going to hedge my bets. One, I was very thankful because <laughs> I've got my keys yeah. back. And two, I made a point of taking a little, we had a like one piece of like sweet cornbread from Safeway left. And I set it out there at the foot of the tree. And I said, hey, if it was fairies that brought my key back and stuck it here in the tree for me to find, thank you. I really appreciate it. Here, have a sweet little cake for me. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Why not? Wow. Yeah. And it's definitely the right key. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They're definitely, you just didn't take some... Uh, somebody else's keys hands keys or anything right no no they they are the correct <laughs> yeah, keys yeah, yeah. with the correct little wow. like keychain that my wife had given me i know it's very weird it's very weird so yeah oh. sometimes weird crap like that happens and you know what whether you know yeah. how they got there or not you just say thanks yeah you just say and you leave a little treat yeah for sure absolutely that's a weird one. So, John, what about you? Anything weird lately? I can't. Th- I, like, I've been sitting here and I can't think of anything weird. I will say, as we were, uh, you guys were talking about stu- weird stuff you saw. Um, I was, I saw on fa- Facebook. You know, at the top it has like the stories. Yeah. And um, our former uh, coworker Dora, yeah, posted something that said, "This morning, what am I looking at?" And it looks like she's. Uh, has spotted a UFO. What? It's it's two light, one big light and a little light right next to each other in the sky. It's just a picture. I don't know why she didn't take video, but uh, that's kind of weird that I just saw that as we were recording this. That is interesting. Um, other I'm than that, I'm gonna have to go look at that after we're done. Other than that, I got nothing. I have nothing. <laughs> no weird things. That's have okay to me. That's okay. Yeah. Oh, that's well. interesting. <laughs> oh boy. Fellas, we we are in for a treat this month on our road to Hellier. Hashtag road, road to Hellier. We finally get to the big boy himself. We're talking Mothman. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. Let's do this. Yeah, Woo-hoo! right? So to quote John Keel at the start of Chapter 12 of Mothman Prophecies, the events of 1966-1967 had fractured everyone's sense of credulity. Almost anything now seemed possible. A pregnant man was no more absurd than the winged behemoth or the gigantic illuminated forms that cruised up and down the Ohio River nightly. A 
fantastic new world was taking shape, populated by spacemen who drove Cadillacs and Volkswagens, psychiatrists who heard bodiless voices in the night, and things that ate dogs and cattle while everyone was looking in the wrong direction. Mothman. I mean, today he's a bit of a cultural icon. There are shirts, buttons, bumper stickers, a big shiny statue with an ass that just won't quit, and killer ads. Mm-hmm. And even a Twitter bot that, amongst other things, rightly proclaims that Mothman is real and believes in trans rights. Hell yeah. And throughout the Mothman flap of 1966 and 67, maybe there is an element of the idea of transformation. Uh, during our research, it was easy to get caught up on the minutia of the case. Details about the sightings, when the first real sighting was, so on and so forth. Many researchers and even more podcasts have delved into the nuts and bolts of the Mothman case. But on our road to Hellier, there seems to be few nuts and even fewer bolts. This month, we're looking at the weirder, higher strangeness involved in the Mothman flap and what that may tell us about the phenomena writ large. Oh, so it's it could be very easy to just dive into like a timeline of events. And I and I did put one in the notes to just kind of give us a frame of reference because, you know, uh, our topic from last month, Indrid Cold and Woodrow Derenberger, uh, you know, lands in this timeline. Um, and, and there just is a lot of stuff. There's so much stuff when it comes to um, this basically 13 month period on the West Virginia, Ohio, kind of Kentucky-ish border where to just say it plainly, shit got strange. Yeah. Like really, really strange. Like the highest strangeness. Um, Now, go ahead, Zeb, please. It's it's interesting because I, I cannot remember a time when I, wasn't vaguely aware of Mothman. I've, I've been stretch, scratching my head all month trying to figure out when I first heard about Mothman. I mean, even my friends in high school that shared a little bit of interest in the paranormal, like we all kind of agreed that Mothman was sort of like above and beyond strangers of regular strange things going on. Mm-hmm. Do, do, do the either of you remember the first time that you were, were aware of Mothman? Oh boy. Um... Yeah. Um, I can't remember if there was some sort of reference to Mothman in the X Files, there might have I, I been. would there. I would be uh, shocked if there was. Right. If anything, it might have been then, but it, it really wasn't until you know more modern times where it really, at least on my radar in my my sphere of awareness, where it became much more pronounced. Um, what with you know TV shows, uh-huh, even uh-huh. cartoons making reference to it, um, obviously podcasts, and, uh-huh. and the more that I started to dive into you know reading books on the phenomena, John Keel books aside, because obviously that's going to be really you know focused on it. Yeah, uh, I will say I just did a quick Google search, and Mothman is referenced in a episode of X Files called Detour. Okay. They're called Tour. It's with the uh, okay the uh, uh monster that can kind of blend into trees oh right yeah mm. yes yes okay. okay so he so Mulder deduces that it might be of the same but that's it that's it yeah all right fair enough so for for part of pulling together a timeline i i was looking at um a site called themothman.fandom.com um which i get it it's a wiki. It may not be the best source out there, but I was really just trying to like slapdash, you know, some sort of frame of reference mm-hmm. to go with. Now, a lot of people 
look at November 15th, 1966 as like the start of things. And that, that's, that's the, that's the evening that Roger and Linda Scarberry um, are driving around in Roger's black 57 Chevy with Stephen Mary Millett uh, in the TNT area, which is a former like world war two munitions area outside of point Pleasant, West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so this is this is the whole thing where uh, they spot Mothman. It's got like they describe it as having like a wingspan of easily 10 feet, you know, big red eyes. And it chases them and they hightail it out of there. Um, and Roger, apparently, as I was reading, was very, very proud of his 57 Chevy. Um, you know, it's souped up. It's fast. Um, they're hightailing it out of there, doing 100 miles an hour, and it's pacing them. Um, even allegedly scrapes the door of the Chevy a little bit. Mm. Now, I, of course, being a bit of a gearhead, decided to go, oh, wow, well, whatever happened to the Chevy? Unfortunately, Roger and Linda divorced uh, in the years following this, and uh, Roger's beloved Chevy was sold off as part of that, and nobody really knows what became of it. Was it, oh, so, man. Was it sold, or yeah. did someone take it? Um, <laughs> it could be. Mm. I mean, the Chevy's already black. Yes. They wouldn't need to repaint it. Just they definitely would not need it. to repaint it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, that a lot of people look at as like the first mothman sighting and it's not quite actually um as early as the summer of 1966 there are people who are spotting what some refer to as a giant butterfly or a winged creature in west virginia Mm-hmm. Um, even as early as the 1st of November, there are National Guardsmen near Camp Conley who see a giant winged creature. Mm-hmm. Now, that's interesting because the very next day, November 2nd, is when Indrid Cold meets Woody Derenberger. And the day after that is when Woody gives his interview on TV that we talked about in the last episode. So all this stuff is kind of, it's like it's ramping up, it feels like. And we hit November and things start getting a little bit more rapid fire. Um, but one of the really interesting things to me is uh, something I don't hear reported very often is that, is that Mothman squeaked like a mouse. Huh. It also didn't follow them into oh, yeah. Point Pleasant. Really? So it would follow them up to a point? Yeah. And then be like, I'm good. Yeah. And then like, you know, break off pursuit basically. Huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now they also report the, the Scarberries and the Millettes. Um, because their their account of things actually is is covered in the local news again the next day. Yeah, and that that really kind of kicks things off, and newspapers all over the place start picking up um, uh, their story. But one one aspect of it is is as they're racing toward Point Pleasant, they they see a large dead dog in the road, and after getting into Point Pleasant, and Mothman doesn't follow them in, they're like, oh man. What the heck did we just see? Where did it go? Maybe we should go back and look for it. Because as you do. Yeah. (laughs) And and as they head back that way, they report that the large dead dog that they saw was no longer there. Mm. Now, large dead dog as in larger than normal dog or I don't I don't know. Um, the, obviously, you, you know, I guess at a hundred miles an hour, you don't exactly stop and go, Oh, Hey, look, it's a great day. What kind of dog is that? Let's, you know, or it's like, wow, what a chihuahua, you know? Um, 
so I, I'm not, you know, equating it to like, you know, seeing like a, a, a like a dire wolf or something, <laughs> Skinwalker right, Ranch or right, something right. crazy like that, you know. But I, I make mention of it because, again, I feel like throughout aspects of the phenomena and definitely, you know, aspects of Hellier, we see this thing where harm comes to dogs. Or Clifford. So, yes. the, so the phenomenon hates dogs. Some aspect of it. Now, there, there that's, are people That's kind of who, messed up. Yeah, I, I won't disagree with that. Um, but there are there are people who say that some of the creatures visiting Earth, uh, you know, come from the star Sirius, which is the dog star. Um, and then there are others that come from like a rival, you know, the, the Pleiades or something. And they are antagonistic toward each other. And so what they intuit from that is that and there's a logical fallacy in it that I'll point out in a sec is that, that because they're from the dog star, that they're going to basically bring harm to dogs on earth. Um, when they're, I don't know, having gang fights mm. or something, the, the, the logical fallacy comes in the fact that, you know, we as humans refer to it as the dog star, you know, oh, we, yeah. we associate it with canine. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that starts me down the road of like, okay, so, is this again kind of a John Keel, our haunted planet thing where it's our own, you know, thoughts and associations and cultural constructs influencing the phenomena. Mm-hmm. And, and just like that, we are off that freeway exit and into weird, weird speculation. Yeah. Jeez. So it would be, I, I was always struck by the fact that go ahead. Oh, I was always struck by the fact that, that he was called Mothman which I always thought was really weird because he always seemed more like a Batman. Like the whole, he makes mouse-like noises. I mean, a, a bat is almost more That's like a flying mouse than so. anything, you know? Yep. <laughs> yeah. I will agree with that. Yeah. Um, part of the strangeness in that is, and is that it, it... Go ahead, Seb. Oh, it, 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 would, it would always so weird that he... Um, all the reports of him flying, it didn't sound like he really flapped his wings. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's the most defining physical characteristic of Mothman, but he kind of just lifts into the air, which is kind of interesting. No, I totally agree with that. And that it's it's one of those things that definitely makes me lean toward, like, this idea that it is just a giant, I don't know, like a giant signal, a giant initiation, a giant um, something. That it, it may not be an actual creature. It may have just been a... Um, a period in time where the phenomena in whatever form it's taking is trying to, I don't know what, trying to get as many people to see it to what end. I'm not sure. Um, But to, to maybe just shake up their day-to-day thinking Um, and that it wouldn't necessarily need to be like, I need to be a hundred percent scientifically accurate because if it's let's say it's six or seven feet tall, you know the the wingspan needed to lift that kind of bulk into the air is more than ten feet. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. So why not just um, you know it's like uh, what am I thinking of? It's like um, I think of uh, like like Indonesian puppet shows where they've got like the light behind and then a screen and they've got like the puppets. You know uh, what I'm talking yes, about? Yes. 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 Okay. So so. Imagine, you know, ultra terrestrials holding up 
a Mothman puppet in our sky to get a reaction from humans, the audience. Does that make any sense at all? No, yeah, that does. That makes sense. It's like a, it's a test. It's an illusion. Yeah, exactly. So it's what do you think, Sam? Well, I, I there's it, there's so much to unpack with the story of the Mothman. I mean, I'll be honest. Before this year, I had never read John Keel's book, The Mothman Prophecies. Right. Um, and I was really blown away by it. Um, I I feel that Mothman is interesting, but Keel is almost ten times more interesting than Mothman. <laughs> uh-huh. um, I love the way that he sort of basically. I mean, for one thing, he. He, he reminds me a lot of a couple of different characters. There was a, um, a trailblazer of the Unitarian Church here in America called James Freeman, who lived in the late 1700s, early 1800s. Um, and, and together, you know, UFOs and cryptids and ghosts and kind of kind of pulling all of those threads together into one unified theory, I uh-huh. guess you might say. I mean... That for me was something that I first was exposed to by watching Hellier, um, but obviously it has roots deeper into at least John Keel's writings. Um, but do you, do, do the both of you know if he was the one of the first writers to kind of espouse that that idea or that philosophy, or did he even go back further to maybe like Charles Fort? Or what do you guys think? Oh, hmm. you know, I I don't remember. Like, I'm not as familiar with, say, Fort's writing as I am with certain others. And I'm sure there are people out there who could speak to it better than I could. Um, but I believe Keel was the first to kind of coin the term ultra-terrestrials, um, where we're looking at okay. um, other creatures and, and, and other realities that, um, you know, coexist with ours, but that may be on a different, uh, for lack of a better term, vibrational frequency. Yeah. And I feel is this the area that has a lot of um, a lot of that kind of high strangeness from from Hellier, or am I thinking of another area? No, I mean you know West Virginia does feature uh, hugely into this the whole kind of Appalachian region. Yeah, um, that that encompasses um, Kentucky, West Virginia, parts of Ohio, um, kind of all through that. You know, again. We're, we're looking at um, an area with, you know, the, the term that they use they, that Carl coins in Hellier is, is bridges and borders. Yes. And we've got rivers acting as borders and we've got bridges crossing them, obviously, with the Mothman incident. We've got the Silver Bridge collapsing in December of 67. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, again, I mean, you look at, you know, even just stuff that we've touched on, we've touched on. Hopkinsville, which is Western Kentucky, we're we're talking about stuff that is going to surround uh, Hellier, which is Eastern Kentucky, uh, Somerset, which is Eastern Kentucky. Um, we've got Point Pleasant. Um, we've got, um, <clears throat> you know, just last month, we've got, uh, you know, Parkersburg, uh, West Virginia, Mineral Wells. Um, and it's, it's actually worth noting, I was looking at a map at one point, um, doing research and we've talked before about how how I feel like we're noticing a pattern of um, UFOs in particular in this sense moving in a roughly southwest to northeast line and if you look at where Point Pleasant and Parkersburg and Mineral Wells all are on the map it is roughly a southwest to northeast line between 
Parkersburg and Mineral Wells and Point Pleasant's right in between the two. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, 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 it's interesting be- also because, you know, the, the Mothman sightings are kind of happening along the Ohio River. And I, I almost feel like the Ohio River, you know, not only runs through like the border of West Virginia and Kentucky, but it sort of runs through a lot of the episodes that we've done on the show. You know, I mean, it's about a hundred miles away from Kelly, Kentucky, um, Loveland, Ohio. We did the show on the Loveland frog. I mean, that's straddling a, a tributary of the Ohio river, the little Miami river. Right. Um, so there's definitely a, um, I guess a sense of geographic synchronicity going on as well. You know? Yeah, I would say so. Um, go, going back to what you said about it, maybe being like a, a projection or something, mm-hmm. kind of something similar to that. Do you, it, and uh, forgive me, has the Mothman ever actually ha- like touched anyone? Or ooh, that's a really good question. I I know that's like it's a very you know specific question, but now that you know, you mentioned that it might be a projection. Um, kind of like, I, I, I don't want to say like an initi- initiation or just seeing how we would react to it as test subjects of some yeah, sort. Yeah, I see where you're going. I, you know what, I, I don't have like a master list of all the reported encounters in front of me. Um, and, and there are a lot, I think just, um, just the week of December 7th, 1966, the week that John Keel arrives in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, 18 people report spotting Mothman just that week. Yeah. Um, but I, I, the only in, in terms of our notes, in terms of what I'm looking at, the only thing that um, gives any indication of any physical contact is the fact that Mothman allegedly scrapes the door of Roger Scarberry's Chevy. And that's the only that's the only instance of any sort of physical contact, and we don't have any reference like to it, at least that we know of at this moment in time. I'm trying to find like a full list of the encounters. Yeah, it's so I mean can, like word search grab or something. <laughs> Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, you, you could try the, uh, uh, the, the fandom wiki that, um, that I used, uh, to get some of this information. Um, I, yeah, I, that's, that's the only one that I'm very acutely aware of. And even then without seeing a picture of the side of the car, I mean, I feel like it could certainly just as easily have been like we, we scraped a tree as we were fleeing. Yeah, I mean, that that, um, that makes sense. Um, huh. Yeah, it's it's also tough to say because, you know, if if a panic, if a hysteria is kind of gripping an area, uh-huh. it I think it certainly is possible. Um, I won't speak to the probability, but I will certainly speak to the possibility that some people... Uh, maybe so worked up in a situation that um, their recounting of things may be inaccurate. Um, I know I've certainly done it. Um, and it, it's if somebody reports that they were touched, I'm not saying that they weren't. Yeah. But there may be a hysteria. I'm not so committed to the, you know, it's a projection. It's, you know, it's a uh, it's a it's a Scooby-Doo kind of thing. Right. right, right. Where they're pro- projecting a ghost onto a wall to, to scare the locals kind of thing. I I. It, that's just an idea. That's just a theory that I have because there's other, there was other weird stuff going on all at the same time that wasn't necessarily just, oh, look, there's Mothman up in the sky. Yeah. 
right? There's lots of people reported mm-hmm. hearing uh, unusual sounds, beeps, clicks, voices on their telephones. Mm. Um, the, you know, I, John Keel in, in the Mothman Prophecies reports experiencing some of this uh, himself. At the same time, it's worth noting that Alan Greenfield himself has come out and said, yeah, some of that was me and Gray Barker pranking John Keel. Oh, wow. <clears throat> oh, Uh-oh. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Now, does that mean that every instance is now attributable to that? No. No. Yeah. Could you argue that maybe, and this is me really, I'm like, I am going out on a limb on a windy day here. (laughs) Um, But I would almost make a case for the phenomena influencing people to do stuff that also serves to kind of discredit itself what do you mean by that i'm trying to think of a good way to do this like if if we had this tale of you know strange phone calls with beeps and clicks and and odd voices and stuff like that um and and there was nothing to indicate that anyone was being say a trickster Uh in terms of this um, if we didn't have anyone come forward and say, well, yeah, you know, some of those, it was me and another guy and we were pranking this dude. Yeah. Cause he, he just, you know, we had to kind of take, had to take the wind out mm. of the sails cause he was being too serious or whatever. Right. Yeah. It, I wonder sometimes, and, and this is me going on to the idea that literally like I, I'd have to say everything in the universe on some level is connected. Right. Mm-hmm. However, you want to take that, you know, whether it's like we all have this like, you know, Akashic record that our minds can tap into if it's if it's the 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 third order of a Schumann resonance where, you know, we kind of interact with the earth itself. Um, I wonder sometimes because I, I go back to our Men in Black episode where one of the things I believe it's Keel mm-hmm. suggests is that the Men in Black or some of the Men in Black are the aliens themselves trying to either, you know, get their evidence back or mm-hmm. discredit the people who saw them. Yeah, we talked we talked right, a little bit about right. that before. Yeah. Um right. Yeah, on, on the on the Men in Black episode. Right. So if 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 I take that a step further, right? So here is now let's say it is the phenomena creating a um a flap in an area right where lots of people are seeing stuff and experiencing high strangeness right you would think that that the goal is simply to be like hey there really is something here there's something more than your your day-to-day existence you know let's mm, all okay. become awakened to it let's say right but and i'm not saying necessarily the phenomena is all one mind even i mean some aspect of the phenomena may be influencing people to perpetuate a hoax of a similar nature because that then allows some people to go oh well it was all a hoax oh oh well none of it was real and who knows i mean the phenomenon may just have multiple personality disorder it could be working against itself at times i am so out there i feel like i should be like i don't know consuming some sort of mind-altering substance I, I, no, right no, now I, yeah, I think you're right i, I think you're on to something because keel does in his book go on to talk about something that um, 
let's see if I, um, he calls it, he starts talking about how he wonders if the phenomenon is generating evidence, not of what its real nature is, but of just what the investigators of the phenomenon expect. So for instance, there's parts in his book where he starts saying like, okay, he starts, um, um, he, he invents a purposely false theory of something like a UFO or sighting mm-hmm. or something. And he starts investigating um, that intentionally self-generated fake um, aspect of UFO sightings. And then he'll start finding evidence that backs that up. You know what I mean? He, yeah. he of course, expresses this theory much more eloquently than I do. Um, but it's basically, he's sort of, um, I mean, in Kiel's, in Kiel's worldview, I mean, to, to think that UFOs are simply and always just nuts and bolts vehicles operated by creatures from another planet or another solar system. I mean, he really poo-poos that idea to a large extent. He kind of sees it as something a lot more, a lot weirder, really, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. if we, if we talk about Mothman, for instance, I mean, over the years, there's been a lot of different um, uh, possible explanations for the Mothman sightings over the years. There's been people who have said that the, the good people of West Virginia are misidentifying uh, a type of bird called a sandhill crane. Mm-hmm. Um, some people say that Mothman was an extraterrestrial or a cryptid. Some people have said it's a government mutant exposed to toxic waste from this TNT area. But but Keel's theory, if I, if and I emphasize if if I understand it correctly, is is probably the most out there and the most interesting because he's proposing that Mothman is one of several ultra terrestrials from an alternate dimension whose existence is a natural condition of the Earth. Uh, yep. He goes on to say that these ultra terrestrials have been misidentified by humans across the centuries based upon their own cultural biases. So for instance, a thousand years ago or whatever, people would have interpreted them as gods or angels or demons. And and these days we're misinterpreting them as beings from another planet. And and there's this quote, there was this one part of the book, there's this quote that I thought got the closest he ever did in that book to really kind of laying out what his thesis was. And he says, quote, um, he, meaning one of these entities, he really did not know who or what he was he was a prisoner of our time frame he often confused the past with the future i gathered that he and all his fellow entities found themselves transported backwards and forwards in time involuntarily playing out their little games because they were programmed to do so living or existing only so long as they could feed off the energy and minds of mediums and contactees unquote um, and that that kind of blew my mind when I read that or when I heard it. I actually listened to the audiobook version. Um, but what, what do you guys feel about that, John? Um, I th- I think it it could. So he's just it, or it is just displaced and cannot control when it comes in and out of our reality. Um, uh, I I guess I could see that. Um, I know I've heard about other sorts of i think that's a that's a theory that kind of goes along with um some stuff that happens at skinwalker yeah there's like portals i feel like they've seen portals at at skinwalker though Mm -hmm. but i could i could see that being a thing and who knows 
again, the the theory of someone doing an experiment on us. Maybe the Mothman can't control it, but someone else is. Right. Um, <clears throat> I, I think either, either way, it's it's pretty interesting. But I think I might be sticking with my it's it's uh, somebody messing with humans because if there's no like actual like physical touch that anyone has has claim then i i think i'm i don't know i feel like maybe stick with that for me at least no, that's, that's an interesting that's, theory though yeah it, it it really is and it's it's one of those things where at some point in um reading one of keel's book it might have been the eighth tower um he gives the example of um a human looking at a line of ants marching down the sidewalk right and we are you know, um, well, let me back that up from the ants perspective, right? Right. You're down on this little micro level. You see the ant in front of you. You maybe see the ant in front of him. Um, if I can give ants gender, why not? Um, and that's it. You know, you're in this small little space, but here's human, you know, five, six feet above them. Not only can I see where the ants are headed, you know, yeah. I can now take, a piece of satan bark place it down in the ant's path in literally the ant's timeline mm-hmm. because the ant will move across that space over time and you know change their experience right for for the ant you know that ends up right behind that piece of tan bark that i've put down it's almost as though that tan bark just appears out of nowhere because I don't know that the ant, ant is thinking yeah. to look uh-huh. up and go, oh, here's this giant hand yeah. coming with a piece of tan bark, if it knows the word hand, if it knows the word tan bark, but we're leaving that that idea out there. You know, so what what Keel then kind of posits is, you know, there's there's nothing there to say that we are not seen as ants to something else, something that can see our timeline our our travel through space over time mm-hmm. and goes hey i'm gonna put something right there and hope they see it mm-hmm. so it, it and i i don't have a good reason yeah, it's, to say it's, no it's not that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it kind of blows my mind because keel talks about alternate dimensions in a way that i, I personally have always felt that i mean obviously we live in a day and age where scientists theoretical physicists some of them believe in the reality of alternate dimensions extra dimensions parallel universes mm-hmm. you know some scientists don't believe in it it's basically a, a an area where the science isn't yet you know reached a consensus and and if i personally and i think i would have to guess a number of others or at least science fiction authors have always felt that these possible extra dimensions might be a place where I mean, who knows what happens when we die? One of the things I've thought about is, well, maybe our if we if our consciousness survives, maybe it goes into one of these alternate dimensions. Maybe that's what ghosts are. And it's interesting because back in the the 17th century, um, scientists at the time, a lot of them in, in in Europe and in England in particular, were experimenting with um, vacuum pumps, and they were trying to discover whether or not you could actually create a, a, a vacuum in like a sealed glass chamber, which of course today we, we kind of take for granted. Um, but at the time it was this raging thing amongst philosophers um, active in the, in the, the 1600s. And, and there were some people who were saying, you know, if this vacuum does exist, it's a place where 
like angels and souls and God could exist because it's almost like a hole in our reality, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting how hmm. whenever we, as a, as a, as a culture tr- investigate a quote unquote hole in reality, it kind of becomes a place where all of these, these beasties can live, I guess, you know? Um, but for anybody out there listening to us who maybe hasn't read any of Kiel's writings or hasn't read the Mothman prophecies, oh my gosh, I can't recommend this book more highly because he goes on to talk about it's I almost got the feeling that he spends relatively few pages actually talking about Mothman and he talks so much about so many of the other things that we all at least the three of us know and love I mean he talks about um, UFOs animal mutilations ultra terrestrials Men in Black. He actually talks about a woman in black which is something I I, I questioned in our our MIV episode he talks about contactees of course the collapse of the silver bridge at point pleasant um and it goes on and on he talks about um what i like to think of as like the golden age of contactees back in the 50s and 60s there's this one um person who is claiming to be an extraterrestrial who goes by the name of princess moon owl and um there's this one entity called apol a-p-o-l yeah, I know. And and he talks about moon potatoes. At one point, somebody somebody found potatoes on the moon. And it's just, it's such a great thing that the, the, the men in black in Keel's writings, they're so amazing to me because they're, they're, they're almost, they're not so much threatening as they are like bumbling. Like they can barely string a sentence together. At one point, one of the men in black enters a restaurant, doesn't know how to order food, doesn't know how to use utensils, and the waitress has to help him. There's one man in black, man in black who tries to drink Jello out of a bowl without a utensil, without a spoon. Um, there's one part where a man in black shows up at the farm of a West Virginia family, pretending to be um, like a detective hired by a company that's trying to find a missing heir to a fortune. And the man in black is this huge hulking creature of a person, you know, like six feet tall or something like that. And his name is Tiny. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's so charming. It's, it's just, you, you want, you want to help his men in black get through life rather than run away from them in terror. At least that was the the experience that I got out of this. I don't know. It's just so good. No, I I think that's a really good point is, is, you know, there is, I think, and I've, I've heard this, you know, espoused by many people. I, John Tenney, notably among them is that the phenomena wants you to play with it is is it's it has that that sense of you know right play leads to this i don't know if it's a mental state where unusual things are more possible you know if you think about it you know we think about back when we were little kids we'll go outside and we'll play whether it we play with something imaginary whether we grab our toys and you know play with them and enact uh, scenarios and make up stories and adventures and stuff for our toys um there i think there is definitely an aspect of you know the phenomena phenomena that wants that interaction that wants that play that wants to get you into that kind of state of mind where things outside the kind of like you know going through life with blinders on of like oh i've got to pay my bills oh i've got to go to the store oh i've got to you know hang up my laundry uh 
kind of day-to-day mm-hmm, stuff mm-hmm. It, right. it it wants to kind of break you out of that and and maybe i mean god for all i know short of my brain melting at this point my brain just kind of melted yeah me too carl um <laughs> is is that um, <laughs> uh that's we're gonna be using that sound a lot for the next few months um is that maybe maybe all the phenomena wants to do is just kind of help us keep things kind of like light and playful and keep our imaginations vibrant. You know, I mean, a number of episodes I, I mm. talked about, you know, the idea of, of, of a beautiful mystery and, and, and mm-hmm. it's, it's weird. And, and what, sometimes what we look at and what we, what we research and stuff is scary when you imagine, you know, kind of like, being there and being involved in it um but i think capturing that sense of wonder that sense of you know the 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 world and the universe around us is so much weirder than we we even think it is when we're looking at something right right yeah yeah. i think you're onto something especially because there's so many stories of like i don't know you always you always hear the story that like um in, in ghost sightings, for instance, uh, somebody who's a child might be more apt to see a ghost, you know, and then they almost like mm-hmm. grow out of it, for lack of a better phrase, I guess. Right. Um, so there is a childlike quality to it. Although on the, you know, to to you know to play, to play the devil's advocate, though, there are some parts in in Kiel's book that I personally found like really terrifying, and I don't even mean the whole stuff about like phone tapping or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, there's this one part where he. He's like in this field in West Virginia looking for lights in the sky or something like that. And he looked at the newspaper and he, you know, read the time that the moon was supposed to rise that night. You know, it was like a cloudless night and everything. And he's out there in this field or whatever doing his thing. And the moon never shows up. It's like the moon is just gone for one night, which is just like, that's insane because it's like, that's the kind of thing that would scare me to no end. I mean, so there is, there is a part of the Mothman story, which, which is kind of terrifying. I think the scariest thing for me about Mothman is the 2002 episode of Unsolved Mysteries hosted by Robert Stack that had a Mothman segment. They have a guy in a Mothman costume shuffling around the set. It's like one of the scariest things I've seen ever in my life in any context, horror movie, TV show, anything. And it's just like, yeah, because I always go back to the idea of how frightened the witnesses were. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And... And they really capture if you it's on YouTube if you get a chance to take a look at it. If you get a chance, it's just oh I just ugh, it's so creepy. I might just have to turn it into a gif. <laughs> um Yeah, it's it's so weird because not only, you know, um you know, we, we we've got Mothman, we've got John Keel. Obviously John Keel gets in good with Mary Heyer, who works at the local paper, and they're kind of our Mulder and Scully of a sorts kind of um doing the investigation yeah. around here but but i find it interesting this is one of the things that popped up in in kind of doing the research just to slap a timeline together is that the scarberries actually reported poltergeist activity in their house oh after after sighting mothman um and i'm just gonna bring this up real quick just to talk about some of the examples um and oh dear i feel like it taken me to a different page that's not helpful Uh oh yeah i know oh that's really strange oh yeah i'm suddenly kind of confused here but they literally reported you know stuff getting like knocked about 
in their house and i am see this is this is the weirdness that although oddly enough what i what it has linked me to is a database a listing of sightings uh from this period in time weird huh yeah weird uh, this and, this and, isn't a put on. This is something that's really happening. No, right no, no, no. I'm I legitimately like I am in the notes. I have clicked on the spot where um, I have the link, you know, to mothman.fandom.com slash wiki slash poltergeist activity in the Scarberry homes. Right. Yeah. I click on the link and I go and it takes me to Appalachian Oddity. Yeah. What is that about? I, this is this, okay. Hang on, hang on. Scarberry and Millette. Okay, so I was here at one point. Chevy, there's a picture of him. Just funny because there was also a diner in Point Pleasant called Tiny's Diner. Right. Speaking of tiny. <laughs> uh, oh my god! Do TNT. I do have to say, I love it when one of the things I love the most about the phenomenon is how different weirdnesses kind of coincide like that. Like seeing a cryptid like Mothman and then having a poltergeist activity happen. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, you know, I love I love the idea of a UFO, but the only thing that can make the idea of a UFO better is like the UFO being piloted by Bigfoot. And and, and it, it's like, it seems like that's what the phenomenon gives us oh, in, a, in a weird way. I would love that. What the heck? That is so weird. I found the spot. I linked, uh, is this it? I linked it in the in in our little chat here yes i was on that page john and i went i went down to the section called the scarberry and millets and the third paragraph said the scarberry couple said they experienced strange occurrences and poltergeist activity in their homes and that's a link throughout 66 and 67 uh linda claimed to have seen the creature many times including once on the roof she said it seemed like it doesn't want to hurt you it just wants to communicate with you which again makes sense phenomena wanting to me when i click on that poltergeist activity yeah, in their homes to the appalachian oddity yeah. it yeah which is not what it took me to when i was doing the research interesting it took me to a page that described some of the experiences they had in their homes which is why i'm like okay cool i'll just toss the link in the show notes so i can reference it later but no well do we want thank, thank well you. i mean one of thank the things phenomena. Oh, hold on here. Hold on here. Okay. I mean, John, you, what, you do you think it's every, the everybody? Hold on. I checked the history of the document. Oh, we're thinking. <laughs> and it looks like uh, whenever you did this research, which I yeah. assume was before April 24th. Correct. Uh, it looks like th- this page was moved. Oh, so Mothman history. Mothman historian page moved page poltergeist activity in the Scarberry homes to Appalachian audit. So it was moved. Well, that, okay. Well, at least we know it wasn't the men in black. <laughs> so I wonder why it was moved suddenly, <laughs> suddenly after, um, when was this created? 2018. Yeah. Weird. I mean, still I don't know. weird. Yeah, it is. But, but it's, it, it's like Seb was saying, you know, it's, We've got this situation where it's not just seeing a cryptid. It's not just seeing a UFO. There's so many different things all happening in in this 13-month period. Yeah. And it's literally 13 months to the exactly. day after the Scarberry Millette sighting that the Silver Bridge in Point Pleasant collapses to the day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that's, I mean, that's, that's a tragic story just in and of itself. You know, it's, yeah. it's people Christmas shopping, rush hour traffic. I've 46 died, nine were injured, two were never found. So you 
obviously assume they're dead, especially at this point. Um, but what do you guys think? Because there are some people who say, oh, Mothman's a harbinger of doom. And I don't know that I agree with that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, Keel, Keel seems to talk about, I mean, that, that kind of almost 12-month period of time between the first sightings and the collapse of the bridge. I mean, he uses this one phrase over and over in his book, the year of the Garuta. And I oh, think yeah. the Garuta is like a Hindu deity that has wings. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, Kiel, Kiel, Kiel's take on the, silver, the, the collapse of the Silver Bridge is fascinating because he claims to have been in contact with another one of these entities by the name of Apol, A-P-O-L, in the weeks leading up to the, the bridge collapse. And apparently these entities were communicating with him um, and, and warning him that there was going to be this like nationwide blackout basically and right. he was basically like stockpiling food and batteries for his flashlights and it was timed to begin um at the exact time that the bridge actually collapsed and that was the thing that like weirded him out the most you know because it's like they 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 got the date and time right but like the event wrong mm-hmm. i guess so I, I mean i get the feeling that keel's saying that the entity didn't cause the bridge collapse, but was, I don't know if they were so much warning him about the bridge collapse, but they definitely had foreknowledge of it, I guess. Uh, what do you guys think? Huh. <laughs> uh, um, my brain just kind of melted. Yep. I think that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. It's, I mean, I mean, look, we're, we're kind of almost creeping up on an hour and a half here, kind of going on this hour, 20 minutes. I'm, I don't really think of Mothman as a harbinger of doom. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Um, yeah, I don't think because that, like, I, uh, I get guess with like what the bridge collapse that would be a that's a very like that's a tragedy that sent kind of centered around that. But I, I don't know. That might be more of a yeah. Coincidence. I mean, there, there, there are there are reports that people claimed they saw Mothman on or near the bridge at that time. Um, nothing conclusive. Yeah. Of course. And obviously, you know, you've got 13 months of basically just Mothman high strangeness fever um, (laughs) going through this whole area. And then you have this massive tragedy. And and the way that it's reported is that Mothman sightings just effectively stop, right? They drop precipitously. And that kind of makes sense because Mm -hmm. they're not focused on it anymore they have a literal you know ginormous tragedy yeah in their little town and and point pleasant is Mm. a very small town um so it it kind of stands to reason that now that your focus is on something else you know you're not going to see mothman as much um but i don't i was really looking for i swear that there is a quote somewhere in hellier that greg newkirk gives kind of like talking about how in a lot of cases these types of sightings these flaps whether it's cryptid or ufo or 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 otherwise um oftentimes save these small towns from kind of disappearing off the map because it it gives them kind of a claim to fame Mm-hmm. It gives them something that they ah. can focus on. Like, you know, Kelly has got the Little Green Man days. Um, you know, Point Pleasant now has the Mothman Festival every September. Um, and so, you know, 
there's this kind of almost byproduct, for lack of a better term, for for when an area has a, uh, an encounter like this for for whatever purpose, right. you know, for 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 whatever becomes of it, you know, um, if the locals choose to kind of embrace it, it becomes a point of business and revenue and tourism. Yeah, I don't think it's the, the original new, the new pilgrimage. Yeah, right. The new pilgrimage. Yeah. Huh. You know, I don't think that's the original intent. I don't think in 1966, the phenomenon went, hey, you know what? In 60 years or in 50 years, it's going to be really important that this town survive. So we're going to have this you mm. know, crazy experience and expose the locals to weirdness. Um, I mean, like, look, let's let's look at um, uh, Secret Cipher interview with Terry Wrist. Terry Wrist is claiming that Indrid Cold caused the whole Mothman flap as a distress beacon. Oh, that's right. I mean, yeah, say that. I, could, I could see that that as well. I could see that. You know, trying to, I don't know, maybe, okay, so, okay, oh boy, oh, I could feel my brain melting as I speak. Um, um, so let's take this idea. So Indrid Cold can somehow or does somehow cause this whole Mothman flap because he is trying to get a like critical mass of people to kind of experience this higher order strangeness, right? To kind of raise their own vibration, their own like mental connection and experience to kind of create a signal that would operate on this third order schumann resonance right whatever that was about 20 21 megahertz or 21 hertz not megahertz sorry um to try and get the i'm assuming other creatures the 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 you know upper management for lack of a better term right that exist at this frequency to go oh hey why are we seeing our frequency down here? Let's go, I don't know, investigate or let's go see what or who is causing it. And kind of maybe, sort of... maybe um, they all had to be closer together. And that's why uh, Mothman would stop um, chasing or pursuing until they got to the town where more people were. Oh, like, 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 like trying to corral them. Yes. into a focused point that's that's an interesting thought I, i've not considered that but i like that oh boy yeah that's, yeah there's a lot that's a lot it it is and and i swear to god i just just trying to connect those dots and tie these different things together my brain is very tired now i'm glad we're not doing this at like 10 o'clock at night oh, yeah. oh. Well, you'd sleep well yeah. <laughs> i would sleep very well and i might even have some bizarre dreams <laughs> um yeah Boy, it's, I really, I don't know that I would think, I wouldn't say today that Mothman is a physical creature. I wouldn't say that it is, it is a cryptid the way that kind of most people think Bigfoot is a cryptid. Right. You know what I mean? I, I definitely have this feeling that at the time it was, I don't know, a manifestation of the phenomena that at least now has certainly transcended its original form because, you know, now it's almost kind of like the poster child of high strangeness. Mm. Um, you know, I think you might be onto something because one of the things that Keel says that a lot of the Mothman witnesses suffered from 
was something called um, actinic conjunctivitis. And yes. um, supposedly that's something that is caused, it's a, it's a temporary eye condition caused by exposure to ultraviolet rays. Mm-hmm. So maybe you're right in thinking that maybe Mothman's not, not so much a physical entity, but there's some sort of, he's like, a, like an energy being or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and then I, I always, I always get confused because I try to remember which end of the electromagnetic spectrum violet, and it is the more energetic ultraviolet, meaning above violet, as opposed to infrared, right. which is below that wavelength. So it is a higher energetic um, form of electromagnetic radiation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So again, kind of mm-hmm. feeding into that that higher energy uh, idea. Yeah, sorry, brain melting. My brain just kind of melted. No, I think you did it. <laughs> um, um, I'm looking at the notes going. I'm like, I'm like, is there anything else that I absolutely have to mention before? I'm just like, yeah, I need to take a break because I know like back when I was talking about how maybe, maybe the phenomena can influence people to do things. I'm like, I'm starting to make this, this idea of connecting it to like the David Christie or the Amy emails in hell. Like what inspired those people to reach out in the first place? Right. What, what, what said, this is my best Avenue because when you, when you watch Hellier or listeners, if you've watched Hellier, even even Greg goes, it was, you know, it was an email address on a defunct yeah. uh, uh, ghost hunting group website that I just happened to check on a whim, you know, like mm. that's not like the go to place that doesn't that shouldn't be your first thing of like, this is the people I should contact, yeah, right. you know, um, and and but but for whatever reason, it did. You know, so so I would love to know, I would love to get inside the minds of the people who reached out and go, okay, what what said, yes, this is the avenue I should take. Because I've know. got the feeling it's, that yeah, it's like, just... I think some people, um, and I'm, I'm going out on a weird tangent here, but there's a, um, a British uh, musical group called the KLF. And at one point in their musical careers they're like you know we're gonna burn a million pounds and looking back they're like we don't know why we did it we just felt like we needed to do it and it's like okay i feel like i see some parallels here you know do we have people who've reached out to kind of start this whole thing a rolling going yeah i don't really know why i reached out to this person in particular but it felt like the right thing to do it and i posit is that the phenomena itself influence mm, it could be same way that we might reach out and try to influence an ant on its path across the side yeah. oh boy pointing you in the right direction yeah right or the wrong direction well possibly i mean if you go in the fact that it's like you know we're dealing with a trickster yeah i definitely put that within the realm of possibility <clears throat> gentlemen i gotta say i i'm i'm at a point where I have to ask, is there anything else that we want to be sure to mention or bring up before we move on? Oh, I don't know. I think I'm I'm tapped out. Tapped here. out. <laughs> Seb? No, I think this was great. I just I would really encourage that if any of our listeners are interested to 
really dive into some of Keel's writings on the subject because I hope they find it as fascinating as, as I guess I did or we did. Yeah, I, I will agree with that. I mean, I, I will always say that, you know, Mothman Prophecies uh, is required reading. Um, it is really good. I would also recommend The Eighth Tower, um, which is some of the writings that didn't make mm. it into Mothman Prophecies. Um, and I think I would probably also suggest uh, his book, Our Haunted Planet, um, because I feel like that ties to a lot of what, what we talked about. Uh, this month, and I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll put links to each of those books uh, in the show notes if you want to go and get yourself uh, a copy of that. Um, just be prepared because sometimes Keel will just randomly make mention of the general attractiveness or unattractiveness of women. And um, I know that doesn't really fly today, but I guess the early 70s were a different era. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Anyway, every month. Seb is going to dig into the old-timey newspaper archives to unearth a story of high strangeness. Seb, what on earth could we have this month that even comes close to the weirdness that is Mothman? Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have it happenings in Kent, as published in the Flying Saucer Review, Volume 10, Number 2, March, April, 1964. And so um, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to quote from it. Um and uh, see if my okay now you had your website issue and now let's see if my computer is going to let me read this here we go um, just one second um, the evening of Saturday November sixteenth nineteen sixty three was cold and bright and there was a new moon in the sky four teenagers three boys and a girl were walking along a country road in the airing area of Sandling Park near Hythe in Kent. John Flaxton, age 17, a painter employed in the Kent village of Saltwood, happened to look at the sky above the woods at Slaybrook Corner and noticed that one of the stars above him appeared to be moving. John Flaxton admitted to being frightened. Not for only was the star moving, it was descending towards the four young people. Flaxton um, stated to a reporter, quote, it was uncanny. The reddish yellow light was coming out of the sky at an angle of 60 degrees. As it came towards the ground, it seemed to hover more slowly. I grew cold all over as it vanished behind a clump of trees, unquote. The next thing to happen sent the four young people rushing for safety and terror. Bright golden light suddenly appeared in the field alongside him. Quote, it was about 80 yards away, unquote, Flaxton declared, floating about 10 feet above the ground. It seemed to move along with us stopping when we stopped as if it was observing us. The light was oval about 15 to 20 feet across with a bright, solid core. It disappeared behind trees, and a few seconds later, a dark figure shambled out. It was all black, about the size of a human, but without a head. It appeared to have wings like a bat on either side and came stumbling towards us. We didn't wait to investigate, unquote. One of John's companions, 18-year-old Mervyn Hutchinson, um, also saw the figure clearly. Quote, it was just like a bat with webbed feet and no head, unquote. The story was given publicity in the local newspapers and in the national press, too. On November 23rd, 24th, John McGoldrick went with a friend into Sandling Wood to investigate. Quote, in a clearing in the woods, we found a vast expanse of bracken that had been completely flattened, as if some huge and heavy object had rested there. Nearby, we found three giant footprints. They were clear footprints almost two feet long and about nine inches across. 
They must have been a full inch deep. So yeah, just a little bizarre UFO tale, which I thought was really interesting because it features a creature, maybe the occupant of the UFO or some other kind of weirdness that had some superficial similarities to the Mothman, kind of a man-shaped figure with huge bat wings. And one of the things that I was really struck by is how it talks about the creatures kind of shambling along, which is language that's very reminiscent of what I've heard of some of the Mothman encounters. So I don't know, just food for thought, you know, maybe it's uh, Mothman's English cousin coming to say hello. And uh, yeah, I, you know, I have to, I have to wonder about this, uh, especially because it was shambling. If it wasn't the person in the costume from the episode of unsolved mysteries getting accidentally tumbled back through time. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Especially because you described my favorite theory so far. Um, and John, I don't know. I know, um, right? Yeah. I'm looking at the dates of this. Oh, and boy. Um, no, we're looking at November 21st, 1963, November 23rd and 24th, 1963. You know what else happened on the date that lands right in between those two? I assume it's the first episode. Is that JFK? Well, November 21st was JFK, Seb. So November 22nd, yes is the premiere of Doctor Who. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> oh. Whoa. Yeah. So wow. probably didn't influence the case at all. No. Um, because <laughs> it, it definitely wasn't uh it definitely wasn't the mm. episode of the Zarbies. Um because those are some really weird winged creatures. Um <sighs> review that one still. But anyway, that's an interesting one, Sab. I like that. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, thank- definitely. Well Strap in, folks, because next month we are going deeper underground. We are going to look at the Shaver mystery, and this Ooh, is that's a good be, one. Yep, this is going to be caves and Darrow's and Taros and Mount Shasta and Lemuria and a whole bunch of gobliny goodness. Ooh, can't wait. Yep, I'm I'm already thinking of some audio clips I want to clip for that. So anyway. <laughs> That is it for this month. Thank you for joining us on this adventure into the weirdness that surrounds us every day and definitely for 13 months back in the mid-60s. If you have an experience you want to share with us or if you have questions, email us, please, at allnightgeeks at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at allnightgeeks. You can follow me at busbuddha 71 You can follow Seb at Clan and McMuffin. And you can follow John at JP Thrice. Definitely. Hey, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Stitcher, Spotify. Be sure to rate and review us as well. And just as importantly, please share us with your friends. Word of mouth goes a long way to spread the love around, and we'd appreciate it if you tell at least one friend about the podcast. We want to give big thanks, as always, to the Ghoulies for letting us use the song Hot Rods from Outer Space from their album Midnight in America, which I found out like a week ago was recorded in San Jose, California. No way. Yes way. Oh, what? Yep, at a studio down in Willow Glen on Lincoln Avenue. Ah. And I, I, they had posted something because it was like five years ago that they recorded oh, that album. And they were like, do, 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 San Jose. And I'm like, wait, San Jose, California? Are you kidding me? And they're like, yeah, no, totally. You know, they basically shacked up in the studio for like five months or something. And uh, That's crazy. I know. Very cool. I know. Insane. So now San Jose has a claim to fame with the ghoulies but we want to thank them for letting us use their song as our intro and outro music please give them a follow over on social media and hit up the ghoulies to buy their music we've got merch 
That's over at shop.spreadshirt.com slash N-O-T-L-G. That's right. Shirts, buttons, stickers. Go check all that out. And as always, huge thanks to Kate, the steam powered mouse for doing the show's artwork. Um, I know some people don't want to believe it, but I'd say we're still in a pandemic. Uh, you know, it's just important to help out local artists and businesses any way you can. So please support them first. Give them a shout out. Give them some business. If you want to throw a few bones our way, we'd always appreciate it. And you can do that over at patreon.com slash N-O-T-L-G. Well, now that our brains have all melted, that is it for us this month. We'll catch you next month. And in the meantime, get out and go find something weird. Good night. Good night, folks. My brain is oh, good. We didn't talk about the alien highway thing yet. Great. No, we didn't. Ugh. We didn't. That's happening. That's happening this episode. Excellent.